That's good. Uh, <laughs> am I blushing? <laughs> um, yeah, I heard everyone was really praying for um, John and my trip to Canada. And I just wanted to say thank you because we had an awesome time. And um, it's really interesting how while we were away, uh, Vicki Porterfield preached about rest. And if I were to sum our, our trip to Canada with one word, and it would be the word rest. And I felt so well rested. And I don't know, for those of you who know me, uh, I'm a country girl. I'm not really into the, the city life, you know. Um, I, I like the animals. I, I love living by a farm. I love hearing the, the moo of cows, you know, on my way home from school. Uh, I, I, I'm a country girl. And uh, John lives in the country. Um, and it was great. It was really good. And, and we, we rested so well. I mean... Uh, what I did for most of the time was just spend time with his family, my family, right? I, I spent time with the Newfelds. Um, we turned on the fireplace, just, you know, reclined on the chair, you know, with like a fluffy, wuffy type of blanket and, you know, some hot chocolate or tea. And we just talked and did life. We just rested together, and it was really good. And uh, I'm wearing the bracelet that my uh, niece Kate made me. She's so cute. Um, and I just want to say how awesome it is to be married. <laughs> and I really, really bless you all to get married. It's awesome. Um, it is. And I just love being a Newfeld. I love being a Newfeld. I mean, if John had more brothers... I mean, he has a lot of brothers, and if he had more brothers who were single, man, I, I would, man. <laughs> if only I could share the blessing and the, and the honor of being a Newfield. Um, yeah, just, we just went skating on the pond in the backyard almost every day with the kids, you know. It was really awesome. And, <laughs> um, and also, for those of you who know my sister, um, I had the chance to meet up with her in Vancouver. Um, she's as sweet as ever. She's as spirit-filled as ever, and she's as single as ever. Um, and I can just see her throwing herself on the bed right now as she hears this and, uh, saying, why would she say that, you know? Uh, but an older sister has got to do what an older sister has got to do, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you everyone for praying for us, and, um, it's, it's good to be back. Um, and, Yeah. I'm up here again, and I'm preaching. Um, today, I have a message that is very much related to the increase of the house. And, I mean, Friendship Sunday is coming up. The end of the year, and the, the year of increase is coming up. And I just feel like tonight's word is so timely. But I also want to say that the, tonight's message will be as timely as you want it to be. It's only going to be timely to you if you will open up your hearts to tonight's message, all right? And so let's just close um, our eyes and just pray. Uh, Father, I thank you that your heart is set on increasing this house. That your heart is set on increasing your kingdom. And Lord, though we only have a few more weeks in this year of increase, we thank you 
that, Lord, we're going to continue to contend for the increase, and we're going to continue to see you release the increase to this house, God. And so, Lord, I just ask right now that you would open up our eyes and you would open up our hearts to receive the word that you have for us and that we would make the most of what you have on your heart for us tonight, God. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you that you are in our midst right now and that you're molding our hearts and you're making us ready for the increase, Lord. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Pray. Amen. Um, all right, tonight I'm going to be preaching from the book of Philippians. And uh, if you can turn to Philippians. And before we go into the text, I'll just, just give you a brief background of, of this book. Um, the book of Philippians is a letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And in a sense, Paul is like a full-time minister, a full-time support-raising minister who writes this letter to his supporters who are praying for him and just financially sowing into him, right? And he's uh, writing this letter from prison, right? He was, it's, it's not like a prison cell that he's in, but he's actually writing, um, in the midst of being under house arrest and he's under house arrest for the defense of the gospel. And right now, as he's writing it, he's waiting for his trial. He's waiting for his accusers to push his trial. Right. Um, and you would think that as someone who's writing from prison, that he would be the one to receive letters from his supporters, letters of encouragement saying, you know, just hang in there, brother. Like God's going to come to your rescue. Hang in there, brother, you know. But really, the tables have turned. It's really the Apostle Paul that's sending this message and this letter of encouragement to his supporters because they're so grieved by his imprisonment, right? And it's really strange that though he's writing this letter from prison, Oftentimes, this book is known as a book of joy. Time and time again, he's just talking about joy. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And he actually writes to tell them, hey, look, don't be worried about me. I'm actually really okay. I'm actually doing really well. I'm actually rejoicing in my time under house arrest. And I'm kind of thinking, how is this possible? In his situation, he doesn't even know how long he's going to be under house arrest. But he's just rejoicing, and he's in good spirits. And I want to propose to you tonight that the reason why he was able to rejoice in prison under these sort of circumstances was because he knew what it meant to live for Christ. He truly understood what it meant to live for Christ. In everything that he did, he lived for the honor and the glory of Jesus. In his life, he made much of Jesus. And if you're taking notes, um, the title of my message tonight is Make Much of Jesus. Make Much of Jesus. And so let's turn to Philippians 1, verses 12 to 30, and, and we'll read together. Uh, and we'll start with verse 12. One, two, three. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all shamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And let's stop there. Um, From this passage, what we can make of Paul is that he is a man that knew what it meant to make much of Jesus. In the midst of all his circumstances, he knew what living for Christ looked like. And tonight, right now, if if you're ready and you're really in a place where you want to make much of Christ in your life, I want you to turn to your neighbors and say, I want to make much of Christ. I want to make much of Jesus. Whoa. And I'm going to try to unpack this passage to you. And uh, there are three things I want to tell you tonight um, that we need to know about making much of Jesus. And the first thing is, again, if you're taking notes, the first thing that you need to know about making much of Jesus is that circumstances don't matter. Circumstances don't matter. Uh, Let me just read to you verses 12 to 14 again. It says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served, it's actually really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Again, Paul is under house arrest for the gospel. He's not going anywhere. He's, he's under house arrest. He's supposed to preach the gospel. That's what God has called him to do. But he's imprisoned right now. And you would think that his imprisonment would actually slow down the gospel. It would actually be a hindrance to him preaching the gospel, right? But he doesn't let the circumstances stop him. His imprisonment doesn't really mean much to him in light of preaching the gospel. In fact, it says right here that his imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel. Now, how did that happen? How did that happen? 
If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts 28. Acts 28. Acts 28, and I'm going to read verse 16 and then 30 to 31. And it says, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, here it says that there, though he was under house arrest, it's not like he was on some deserted island by himself. He had guards around him. That means he had face-to-face encounters with people, people who probably didn't know the Lord. Right? And so he made the most of it. He's under house arrest. He could be complaining. God, you call me to preach. I need to go to the crowds. I need to go. I need to get out of prison. I need to get out of this predicament right now because you call me to preach the gospel. But he was able to step out of that circumstance and really see things in the right way. And he was like, wait a minute. This shouldn't stop me from preaching the gospel. Yes, the Lord called me to preach the gospel. I don't care about this circumstance. You know what? I see a human being right here. He's standing on guard right now. So I'm going to preach the gospel to him. That was the sort of heart that he had. That was the sort of um, attitude that he had towards life. And do you know how long Paul was under arrest? Under house arrest? Yeah, two years. It says in Acts 28, 30 to 31, it says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God with boldness and without hindrance. He's imprisoned, but he preached without hindrance. His circumstance was no hindrance to him. It did not stop him from preaching the kingdom of God. And again, he was imprisoned for two years. Can you imagine if he just wallowed in his circumstances? What that would have robbed him and what that would have robbed the kingdom of God from? Two years of ministry he could have missed out on. And can you imagine? I'm not thinking that there's only one guard that was assigned to him for the two years. It's not just like this one guard that's living with him and just watching him all night and all day. That's kind of freaky, right? Um, It it wasn't like that. I'm kind of imagining there was like a a changing of guards each day, each term, each season. And can you imagine how many soldiers, how many guards probably had a direct personal encounter with Apostle Paul? And again, he was fruitful. He made much of Jesus in that circumstance because he didn't allow the circumstance to rule his life. Nothing stopped him. It says right here that he preached with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, let me remind you, he was under house arrest. These weren't just nannies that were watching him. They weren't... um, yeah, they weren't nannies. They weren't there to protect him or whatnot. They were there to make sure he's, he's not going anywhere. They were prison guards. He was imprisoned for the gospel, but he was preaching the gospel to those that were supposed to keep watch over him, make sure he wasn't getting into more trouble, right? I mean, that's boldness right there, right? He didn't let anything stop him. He made much of Jesus despite his circumstances, 
And he thought, you know what? Well, if I can't go to the people, I'll welcome all those who come to me. You know, so many times, like, you know, even with um, praying for the lost and praying for the harvest, we're so stuck on just praying, God, bring us the harvest, bring in the harvest. And yet Apostle Paul isn't, his attitude isn't, God, bring in the harvest, bring in the souls. He's saying, okay, let me go to the harvest. Let me go. Like, you know, nothing's going to stop me. I'm not going to wait around for the circumstances to change so that I can bring in the harvest for your kingdom. I don't care about the circumstances. And he's just going for it. And, you know, a really interesting thing about this um, passage that the main text that we're reading from, if you can flip back to Philippians 1. Um, he says that his imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel, right? And in verse 13, it says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Let me tell you the significance and the scale of an entire imperial guard, okay? Um, An imperial guard, the whole imperial guard that actually amounts to thousands of soldiers. And he says, you know what? The gospel's been made known or the reason for my imprisonment has been known. The reason that I'm in prison is because for the defense of Christ, that's been made known to thousands of soldiers. There's no way that he had a personal encounter with the thousands of soldiers. And even in the two years, maybe a hundred, I don't know. I'm just assuming, right? But there's no way that he met all of these people, right? But the amazing thing is when you're faithful, with the few that God has surrounded you with, God's faithful to multiply. He just needed to get past his circumstance and begin to welcome those who were already there with him, guarding him, and preach the good news to them, preach the gospel to them, preach the kingdom of God to them. And it was up to the Lord to open up their hearts and that these prison guards would go back and start sharing amongst their peers. And the gospel was made known to the whole imperial guard, to thousands of people. Right? And it's just that faithfulness. It's it's that faithfulness in the small things that, you know, we we really believe in here at New Philly, right? Um, The very thing in Paul's situation that should have hindered the gospel actually served to advance it. Why? Because... Paul made much of Jesus. Jesus was a priority to him. Preaching Jesus, making known the name of Jesus Christ was a priority in Paul's heart. And that's why the very thing that was supposed to hinder him was actually there to excel his cause, right? And I have a few questions for you tonight. How long have you been a Christian? How many years? And how many years have you been living in Korea? How many years? How many months? How many months or how many years have you been in the same workplace, in the same neighborhood, in the same apartment complex? And how much or how uh, have you made much of Jesus in those circumstances? I mean, for us, it's, 
really easy to get caught up in our circumstances. It's easy to get caught up in the language barriers, in the cultural barriers, in the schedules, the, the timing of things, and, and, and just our own circumstances, our own personal situations, right? But those very things are actually there to serve for the advancing of the gospel. Cultural barriers they can actually serve to advance the gospel. The language barriers that we feel with some of the Koreans here, that can actually serve to advance the gospel. I mean, my, my husband, he has awesome conversations with cab drivers. Like, seriously, believe it or not. Like, I mean, like, his directions in Korean, they're exceptional. Chaejeonyo. <laughs> You know, he's awesome with that. But the thing is, like, he takes that, that language barrier and uses it, actually, to advance the gospel. He actually has conversations with cab drivers. Hey, do you go to church? Like, he just knows certain words, but he'll just strike up a conversation. And me, I'm pretty fluent in Korean. I'm just sitting in the back. I'm like... Mm, I just want to get out of the cab. I feel awkward, you know. Oh, uh, should I correct him or you know? Um, but I mean, like he was making the most of it, and and believe it or not, the hearts of the cab drivers they melt and they open up. They don't care if you're fluent in the language. You you talk to them, and like like he just said when we we're um, praying, the gospel is powerful. You don't have to come with eloquent words. You don't have to like go through like the step-by-step how to get someone saved process. You just preach the name of Jesus and, and it's done. It's, it's the word of God that is so powerful, you know? And even if there's a language barrier there, Holy Spirit is upon that conversation and it, okay, it can open up hearts to receive the gospel. Right, and so I just want to say that just as for uh, Pastor Paul, (laughs) Apostle Paul, his situation, his circumstances didn't stop him. It wasn't a hindrance for him. It actually was a setup. It actually served to allow him to preach with greater boldness and without hindrance. And the very thing that was set up to hinder him and hinder the gospel was actually used to serve the gospel. Whatever language barriers, time constraints, cultural barriers that we might feel and find ourselves in, those very things can actually further the gospel. And I just preach this. I just want you to understand that even in preparing this message, I felt so much conviction. And, and so I'm not praying from a place where, like, I got it all together. I'm just saying, like, this is the word of God for us in this house as a whole. He's saying, don't let anything stop you from preaching the gospel. Nothing. No more excuses. We don't have excuses because the circumstances don't matter. Um, one thing I wanted to share um, was on Sunday at, at Hillside Sunday Swim, um, Pastor Christian was leading us in a topic for praying for Friendship Sunday. And he was saying, think of someone that you can, you can reach out to and invite to Friendship Sunday. And I was like, oh, I have one name. And it was my husband's barber, Peter. 
I know there's so many of you guys know him, and I'm thinking, man, everyone's going to go to him, you know? Uh, he's such an easy target. Like, God, I think, is just setting things up for him. Um, but at the same time, something really bothered me. I was like, out of my seven years in Korea, is that the only person that I can think of? Is that really the only person that I can think of? And I realized I've been living in such a bubble, like a bubble called New Philly, a bubble called Christianity, a bubble called ministry. All my friends and all my buddies, anyone that I know, all of their friends and friends of friends, they're all believers already. They're already plugged into a church. There's no one else that I can preach the kingdom of God to. They already know the kingdom of God. They're already in the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking, there's a problem here. There really is a problem here. And have you ever wondered why, you know, in our healing and deliverance questionnaire, in the spiritual walk assessment, um, it asks you how many people have you, you know, evangelized to or brought to Christ? And I always wonder, why is that on the questionnaire? Have you ever wondered? I think we all kind of like, you know, fill in the blanks and all that stuff. But I was thinking about the questionnaire. I was like, why is that on there? And I realized that evangelism is actually a very accurate assessment of where we are spiritually. And if PC saying, we're going to have friendship Sunday, think about friends that you can invite and you can't think of names or you can only think of one or two, there's a problem there. And I don't want to, I don't want you guys to feel condemned or feel like, oh my gosh, but I want to say you already, you still have one week to make some friends. You still have one more week to make some friends, you know, and I want you to understand that for pastor, apostle Paul, he didn't go out and make new friends. They came to him. He didn't ask to be imprisoned. It happened to him. That's what verse 12 says. It happened to me. What has happened to me has served the gospel. You're already surrounded by tons of people that don't know Christ. It's just that you're not able to see through the circumstances. You have coworkers. You have friends of friends. You have family members. Friends of family members. You you have people that God has surrounded you and you happen to be in situations that you probably might not have asked for. You might hate the job. Maybe it just happened to you. You hate the job, but God placed you there. And people are coming to you. People are already there. You don't even have to, like, you know, get on a bus to go evangelize it. They're like right in front of you. They sit next to you at work. They eat with you at lunch, you know? And I feel like God is just saying, get over the circumstances. They don't matter. And your personal issues, Paul is in prison. That's an issue. That's a personal issue. And he's saying, you know, don't even let that get in the way. Don't even let that get in the way. Make much of Jesus through whatever circumstance that you're in. Amen. Um, the second thing that you need to know about making much of Jesus is that it's not about you. It's not about you. Let's read verses 15 to 18 and I'll read it to you actually. Um, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Let's underline what then. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, 
Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let me explain the situation here, okay? The preachers that Paul is talking about, they're not like heretics, okay? They're, they're most likely legit Christians who are preaching a generally sound gospel, okay? But they are perhaps filled with envy or filled with wrong motives or filled with rivalry, as Paul says here. You got to understand that Paul was probably seen as a celebrity preacher or a celebrity minister. Everywhere he went, though he did not come with eloquent words, he came with power. People were saved. Churches were established. He was the man of the hour. He was a celebrity preacher. And can you imagine the type of insecurity that some of these other preachers might have felt? And finally, this man of the hour, he's imprisoned. He's finally out of the way. It's now my time to shine. It's now my time and my ministry's time to flourish. And I'm just, that's what I'm thinking. They're filled with rivalry. They're on the same team. They're living for the same purpose. But they're giving Apostle Paul this, just this time of grief in his heart because they're preaching but with wrong motives, right? But he's saying, and even in this situation, hey, what then? It doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's not about me, whether they, they're like mocking me or whatever. It's not about me. As long as the kingdom of God is being preached, I rejoice. There will be haters out there. I mean, for the small group leaders, you know, there, there could be. I'm not saying it's in the house. But sometimes when you see another small group leader's members just be like on fire and you're like, what about my members? And you can't rejoice in their breakthroughs. And you can't rejoice in their members' legs growing out. And you're just like, good for you. You know, like, I'm not saying that's in the house, right? Because it's not. But it's not. It's not. Um, but, I mean, that's what Paul is dealing with right now. He's dealing with haters. And, it, and it's kind of funny, but I was thinking about an analogy for this. Um, but my husband loves hockey. I grew up watching hockey because my brother... And because I'm Canadian. Um, but the Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup is a big issue. A big, big issue in Canada. And think about this. You're the star player of this NHL hockey team that's in the finals right now. And you're, you're playing for that cup. You're playing for Stanley. You're praying for Stanley Cup, okay? And you're the lead player. You're the leading goal. Like, you, you just score all the goals for the team. And then all of a sudden, the coach pulls you out and puts you on the bench. And then puts someone else in your position. And that person is on the same team, but he's filled with rivalry. He's like, yeah. You're on the bench. It's my time to shine. And he does everything that he can for the betterment of the team, right? To win the Stanley Cup. They all have the same purpose. And he's out there and he's doing his best. And he shoots and he scores and he's not doing a dance. He's actually skating by the bench. And he looks at you and says, (laughs) in your face, sucker, you know, Um, and, and that's his heart motive. That's what's what that's what Paul's going through right now. And if hockey doesn't mean anything to you, I'll try to explain this with the Super Bowl. Okay? <laughs> Super Bowl. All right. You're in the finals. You're the lead quarterback, okay? And and you're the man of the hour. You're Tom Brady, okay? You're the the head 
celebrity quarterback, okay? And I saw that documentary, PC, about Tom Brady. It's amazing. You should check it out. Yeah, it's really good. Anyways, um, you're Tom Brady. You're really good. And then all of a sudden, the coach decides to pull you out. And he puts in the next quarterback. And he's out there. And he, yeah, he wants a Super Bowl. He wants it really bad. He wants it really bad. And he tries his best. He throws a touchdown pass. And he's not doing a dance. He runs right to the sidelines and points to Tom Brady and says, in your face, sucker. I'm going to shine. It's my hour. I don't care. I want the Super Bowl, but you know what? You're, you're gone. Like, I'm, I'm going to be the man of the hour, right? That's what Paul is going through right now. But he's saying, what then? So what? What then? It's not about me. It's not about me. Whether you are on the, on, the, on the rink for 20 minutes or you're for 20 seconds. In the end, if your team wins the Stanley Cup, your name gets engraved on the Stanley Cup. Whether you're on the field as a star quarterback for the entire game and you don't get a single second on the field, guess who gets a Super Bowl, Bowl ring? What? Then what does it matter? The gospel of the kingdom of God is being preached. I don't care because it's not about me. It's not about me. And so he's saying, get over yourself. Get over yourself. See it rightly. It's about the kingdom of God being preached. All right. So get over yourself. Paul's only concern was really that Jesus would be glorified. Paul's only concern in his life was that he would make much of Jesus and in his circumstances that Jesus would be made much of. That was his only primary goal, really. And his only response to even his haters, his rivals, preaching the gospel was, hey, I rejoice. I rejoice. So many of us, if we were in that situation, we'd be like, coach, put me in there. Coach, put me in there. It's my time. Oh, you just wait until I'm on the ice. Paul could have been like, you just wait until I get out of prison. God, get me out of prison. I'm going to preach the gospel. Let me show them how it's really done with the right motives. Yeah, right, right. Um, and, and so he's saying right here, like, throughout whatever you're going through, just make much of Jesus. As long as Jesus and the gospel is being advanced, hey, Get over yourself. That's good, right? Um, things that you need to know about making much of Jesus. Right now, I just told you that circumstances don't matter and that it's not about you. The last thing is that you must bear fruit. In order to make much of Jesus in your life, you must bear fruit. Let me read to you verses 21 to 24. It says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul right now is facing a literal life-or-death situation. And yet his concern is not his life. It's not his death. But really, that if he lives, 
that it would be for Jesus. If he dies, it would be for Jesus. And he says right here, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So what is this fruitful labor that Paul is referring to here? In the NIV, actually, um, in the ESV right now, it's, it's separated into two sections, right? But in the NIV, it's just one, and it comes under the heading of um, the advance of the gospel. And in this context, I believe that the fruitful labor that Apostle Paul is referring to is actually the preaching of the gospel. It's the salvation of souls. And another thing um, that this fruitful labor is referring to, I believe, is the building up of believers. Because that's what Paul did. Even in prison, other people who heard of him, other brothers who heard of his imprisonment were actually encouraged. They were inspired. They were filled with more boldness to speak with boldness about the kingdom of heaven, right? And so ultimately he's saying, if I live, my living is actually going to be for your good. It's to mature your faith. My, my life is going to benefit others. It's going to be fruitful in that way. My life is going to build up believers. And he's saying also, if I live, that means there's going to be more salvation. There's going to be more fruit to this life. And a life that makes much of Jesus must bear fruit. And that fruit really is salvation, and it's building up the church, building up believers. And a lot of us were involved in the, in the latter one. In building up the church, you know, in discipling people, small groups, familias, community groups. We're involved in that. We're involved in counseling and mentoring other fellow Christians that we know, even outside of the church, in other churches maybe even, right? But it's not an either-or issue for Apostle Paul. He say, you got to do that, yes, but you also need to preach the gospel to people who don't know the gospel, that there may be fruit for Christ. To live for Christ is to bring about fruit for Christ. What did Christ die for? Why did Christ die? He died. He was sent so that, and, and, and died so that we would have eternal life. That's why he came. That's why he was sent. And fruit to him really is the salvation of souls. And it's, it's really powerful. Like on, on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, Pastor Joel was leading uh, praise at K1. And one of the courses that he came up was, um, with was, um, we are your reward, Jesus. Something like that, right? We are Jesus' reward. We are the reward of Jesus. And so many times we think, God, you are my portion. You are my reward. And yes, that's true. But Jesus is also saying, you guys, you are my reward. You are my portion. I died for you. He's saying, you are my inheritance. Not only are we saying, you're my inheritance, Lord. He's saying, you guys, you guys are my inheritance. We are the fruit of Jesus and what he's done for us. And Apostle Paul, I feel in this passage, he's saying, to make much of Jesus, you got to bear fruit. And that fruit being souls, you know, so it's not just building up believers and encouraging them, but it's also bringing more people into the kingdom of God. Um, my favorite passage or part of this passage really is um, verse 21 and verse 23. And let me just read it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard 
pressed between the two. My desire is to part, depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And I've, I've heard this passage many times. I read this passage many times, but I really didn't understand what it meant, um, honestly, until I started really chewing on it and, and meditating on this. And I, remember, I was reminded of when I was in youth group, and my youth group pastor asked me, what would your response be? If Jesus told you that he was going to come back tomorrow. Has anyone ever asked you that? Or have you ever wondered that? And my answer, my honest answer back then, I was about 13 years old. And I said, no. No. And in the context of this verse, you know what my response was? To live is marriage. To die is an utter pity. I'll be honest, like, I received so many words about my marriage and all that stuff, right? Um, ever since I was, like, 12, 13, right? And I told you, I've been praying for years for my husband, right? And it was because I received this word from two different people um, around the same time, like, saying, you know, your husband is a set up man who is set apart, you know, and you got to prepare yourself for him, and pr- you need to pray for him. And, and, like, I mean, obviously, that was a spot-on word, right? Um, but... I mean, my honest response to my youth pastor was really, I don't want to, I don't want Jesus to come yet. I haven't gotten married yet. I want to get married, you know, and some of you guys might be feeling that way right now, you know, but I mean, back then my, obviously my relationship with the Lord was really shallow. I had no desire to be with him in heaven. That's like the most glorious thing, right? But I was like, no, Not yet, Lord. I need to get married first, you know? That would be such a pity to die single, you know? Uh, You know? I mean, mean, if you have a call to celibacy, I mean, praise the Lord. But for me, it was just like, no, not yet, Jesus. Not yet, Lord. And, And for me, part of it was also like the prospects of life were so much more promising. Life was so good. Like, I got to enjoy things like, you know crushes and you know <laughs> I don't know why I just looked at Pastor Marcus but <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I yeah um, but obviously in that sort of response when your heart is not set on the Lord when your heart is not your life isn't focused on the Lord there's no fruit to your life there's no fruit. But then later on, as my relationship with the Lord began to deepen, I, I fell in love with the Lord. I'm like, Jesus, yeah. Who wouldn't want to be with you? Who wouldn't want to be with you in heaven forever? Like, who wouldn't? But then I still wasn't in the right place because I was like, to live is misery, but to die is so much better. You know, like, it's, it's when, like, you understand that dying is your gain. Like, if I die, I get to be with Jesus. That's awesome. But to live was not Christ to me. To live was utter misery. It was depression. It was hardship. It was all sorts of difficulties that I didn't want to live with. And, of course, my focus wasn't the Lord. To live wasn't Jesus for me, you know. And in that sort of life, even if you're so deeply in love with the Lord, when you're not living for Christ, when you're not bearing fruit, you've missed it. 
You can be in love with the Lord all you want and have no influence and let your uh, testimony and what the Lord has done for you have no effect in the lives of others. And it's just an utter pity. What a shame. What a shame, right? And here in this passage, Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And for him, he did understand it was far more desirable for him to die and be with the Lord. But he's saying, but if I live, if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It means that Christ is being preached. Christ is being proclaimed. That means the kingdom of God is being, it's advancing, it's increasing, right? So he's saying, I, I know even though he's like facing execution, I, I love the confidence that he has. He says, I know I'm not going to die because my job isn't done. My job isn't done. I'm here to build you guys up. I'm here to proclaim the gospel, but I'm here to build you guys up. Cause right. He's writing to the church of Philippi, right? He's, he's writing to believers and he's saying, I know I'm not going to die in this situation. So don't worry because you know what? I have full confidence that I'm going to, I'm going to live because I, my work and the Lord's work is not done with you guys. And I'm just kind of reminded of when I was in Winnipeg. Um, a friend of ours, he's part of a, a mega church in Winnipeg. And mega churches do exist in Winnipeg. Um, and he, they did just this remodeling and a reconstruction of their sanctuary, of their whole building. And it's, it's amazing. The last time that we visited last year, we just saw blueprints. This time we went, it was just like, Whoa. And I got a glimpse of what new Philly could be in the future. I got a glimpse of, of like conferences and stuff that new Philly's going to host and whatnot. And it was amazing. Um, but our friends, he took us on, um, like a tour through the church and he took us to the main sanctuary and he took us upstairs because John wanted to see how like all the sound system, all sound equipments were all set up. And so he takes up on this ladder, like up these stairs and then up this ladder, and I'm like, how high are we going? Because I used to have an incredible fear of heights, right? But um, I do believe I have been delivered. And so I'm like going up the stairs, but I'm, I'm starting to feel a little anxious, like that old self coming back to me, right? And I'm going up the stairs, and I'm like, how far are we going? How high are we going? And we go up, and I'm like, I can do this. Lord, I am delivered. I am not af- I'm, I'm not afraid of heights, and so I'm just walking it out. And then we go up. And they're just like beams that are maybe like this wide, this wide. And no, there's like really thin railings, but it's really, really high. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm, I've been delivered. I've been delivered. I'm okay. I'm not afraid of heights. Oh, I bind you spirit of anxiety. I bind you. <laughs> and then, and his friend, he's like, he's like, you're doing really well. I'm like, yeah, I've been delivered. I'm like, oh, I've been delivered. I've been delivered. And then, you know what the thought that came to my mind was? Wait a minute. God's not going to let me die here. God's not done with me. I know his plans for me. I can't die here. What a pity if I fall right now (laughs) in this brand new sanctuary, you know? (laughs) What a pity, right? It's it's brand new carpet and everything. And I'm thinking like... (laughs) You know, what a pity. And I'm just thinking the whole time I'm thinking like, what if I fall? What if I slip? What if I like, like, you know, hold on to the wrong railing? What if like something's not right? What if like the beams are not, you know, sturdy enough to hold us up? And then I'm like thinking, God's not going to let me die. 
whatever. And so I just started walking. And I'm walking, of course, with my hands on the rail and praying. But at one point, I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to die here. I can't die. He won't let me die. There's more work to be done through my life. And so I just let go, and I was just like, okay, all right. This is still kind of scary, but I'm, I'm going to do this by faith, you know? And we went around the entire sanctuary up there, like, on, like, thin, what I call thin, narrow, um, beams. And when, when we got off, it was amazing because usually when even, like, like overhead bridges and stuff, when, from one side to the other, by the time that I'm – at the bottom of the stairs, my knees are shaking like crazy. But this time it wasn't. And I was like, wow, that wasn't so bad, was it? You know? And then when we are flying here, there was so much turbulence. And I was like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Uh, I usually really, I don't wear my seatbelt, even when the seatbelt sign is on. I know it's bad, but it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> and, like, I just cover it with, like, my, my jacket or something. But... Um, but a thought came to me and I was like, this is really uncomfortable. Maybe I should put on my seatbelt and not that that's not, you know, you're supposed to, right? But then a thought came to me. I was like, wait a minute. God won't let me die. He's not going to let this plane crash. I don't care about this turbulence. I'm going to still put on my seatbelt because that's, you know, the, the signs on, but, (laughs) but it's all right. God's not going to let me die. You know? I don't know how, why and how I got into that, but, um, yeah, like our work isn't done. Right. And so I love the confidence that apostle Paul has here. He's like, I'm not going to die. Um, and I just wanted to say, um, that tonight I feel like God is just asking us, will you make much of me? Will you make much of me? Will you stop making circumstances an excuse? Will you let yourself get in the way? Will you let your insecurities get in the way of preaching the gospel? Will you let your fears get in the way? Are you going to invite that friend to Friendship Sunday? And if you don't have a friend, are you going to go out and make a friend to invite to Friendship Sunday? And I just feel like God's just saying, will you make much of me? Will you make much of me? Is your life really going to bear fruit? You can live this super holy life, a super Christian life. And yet, at most, what you're gaining for yourself is just the nickname goody two-shoes or good Christian or whatever. But what gain is there for Christ in a lifestyle that's just really holy but doesn't have any sort of outward fruit in terms of bringing people into the kingdom of God? Are we going to wait for another 1038 to come around the corner? Or are we going to take 1038 to our workplaces? Are we going to wait for our circumstances to change? Or or are we going to make our circumstances serve the kingdom of God? Are we going to just pray about increase? Or be his hands and feet and actually bring in the increase? Are we just going to pray for the harvest? Or or are we actually going to go to the harvest? I want us to close our eyes. And I just want us to take a few minutes just to come before the Lord in whatever situations or circumstances that you have been in. 
I mean, again, pa- Apostle Paul wasn't absorbed in his situations or his circumstances. He could have been. He was imprisoned. He could have just been contending for his freedom. He could have been contending uh, for his liberation, really. He could have been contending for his own personal issues, but he went past that. He said, it's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. So whether I'm in chains or not, I'm going to preach you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone in this room that has been going through trials, been going through a difficult time, you've been dealing with stress, dealing with anxieties, dealing with uh, relationship issues, you've been dealing with things in your family, and it's your desire to make much of Jesus in your life and to really bring those personal issues to the Lord and say, Lord, I submit these things to you for you to deal with, for you to change. But right now, for me, in my circumstance, in this very circumstance that I'm in, I'm going to choose to make much of you. I'm not going to get hung up in my own situation. I'm not going to wait for my life to be all perfect for me to go out and preach the gospel. I'm not going to wait until I'm spiritual enough to talk to a stranger about you and lead someone to Christ. Whatever the barriers, whatever the circumstances, Lord, I'm just going to submit that to you because I want to make much of you, Jesus. I just want you to begin to lift up and bring before the Lord those circumstances. Lay it at his feet and just say, Jesus, I lay this down at your feet and I take up your name, Jesus, and I want to make much of you. And let's just come before the Lord, honestly. And ask for boldness. Ask for boldness to step out of our comfort zones. To be unashamed. To be filled with boldness and courage. Because to us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is awesome because we get to be with Jesus. But to live means fruit. It means a gain for Jesus Christ. I want you to just begin to pray and and ask the Lord for just a renewing of the mind and a renewing of the heart. To be able to reframe your situations and circumstances and show to you that the harvest really is plentiful and the harvest is right there before your eyes. And just begin to declare that I don't just have the faith to believe in the increase. I don't just have the faith to believe in salvations, but I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be there with you to bring in that harvest. Let's just be honest with the Lord and bring ourselves to him and ask him to become the center right now, really, of our lives and that our focus would not be on our lives and our situations, but would be on him and his heart for the harvest. So let's begin to pray.